Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Business Strategies Podcast, where it's our mission to grow business leaders in the context of the gospel. Today's episode is a little bit different for two reasons. One, we dive deep into a subject matter, something I'd love to do more of from time to time. And two, there was actually a live audience during this podcast. And so if you listen through to the end, you'll hear some uh, audience questions, and that's that's interesting. We dive deep into blockchain, cryptocurrencies, smart contracts, etc. in this episode with Tillman Holloway. And Tillman is one of those guys that you don't know what all he's into until on occasion you hear about different things popping up. And this is kind of case in point. I know Tillman. He's a good friend. We play hockey once a week. And I didn't realize he was into blockchain and cryptocurrencies to the extent that he is. We were at a camp this past summer, and we're in the swimming pool, and he starts talking about blockchain, all of the other technologies that blockchain enables, how it works, et cetera, and all these dads started gathering around and really paying attention, and uh, that coupled with the fact that I was already interested in blockchain and just some of these technology that can now be built on it motivated me to see if he would be on the podcast and just discuss it all in detail. He was more than happy to do so. So we really just dive deep into blockchain and how it works, etc. And so I hope you enjoy. I'll let Tillman explain it better on the podcast and listen through to the end to hear some live audience questions. So without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Tillman Holloway discussing all things blockchain. So let's start with what is going on around us. We're in the build. We're in the basement of a building downtown. We are. What is the noise? What is going on? We are the first brick and mortar social club built on the blockchain. So we are taking memberships, and we are doing this in a lot of different cities across the country, and we are allowing those members to transact against any goods or services that they want in the real world through crypto. Um, so it's a an exchange that we're building. We're doing a Reg D offering. Uh, we're going to go live with that in about a year. Right now, we're doing a utility coin offering for access to the club. So if you're interested in joining any type of a social club and even more so interested in Bitcoin or blockchain, this is the place to be. This is where the people who are going to be, you know, really driving that market are going to be hanging out and, and conversing about all things blockchain. So obviously this is downtown Nashville. It's a social club. So the people that are going to be joining this club are going to be mostly or completely from Nashville? Uh, no, we'll have a lot of travelers. So this will be a reciprocated club membership to where you can go to Austin or Chicago or New York or any of the other locations. But if, it's, if you are from Nashville, we're going to have obviously a certain group of people from Nashville that this will be their home club. Okay. So it's a social club built completely on the blockchain. It is. And like what's going to be going on here? Are people like going to be trading? Does it have anything more to do with blockchain and cryptocurrency aside from it's built on the blockchain, you pay your dues through Bitcoin or whatever, crypto? Yeah, it's what about... Is, what is happening in the social club? It's about education. So most people don't... They, they have an interest in the blockchain. They've yep. heard so much about it that they want to be a part of it to some degree, but they don't know what it is or how to be a part of it. And if you go through the traditional you know, educational process of YouTube, you're going to be very, you know, sorely disappointed on the outcome as it relates to investment and or mining front. So mm -hmm. this is about 
giving them access to legitimate blockchain companies that are really upholding on you know their promises and 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 delivering what they've said they're going to deliver so it's a way for you to get into the blockchain without the risk that traditionally comes with it okay gotcha so it's more than just a social club where you pay your dues with blockchain or cryptocurrency it is a social club and you do those things, but this is a place where you can learn and sort of get in those circles. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we're going to have monthly educational sessions where people will be coming to the club for the sole purpose of learning about certain aspects of the blockchain. And then we're going to have access provided to them to actually go forward with, you know, moving into that sector if they so choose. Can I come, if I'm not a member of the social club, can I come and like get in on some of those things too? Or any of that open to the general public? It will no? be open to the general public from, uh, yes, it will be, but just from an educational perspective. It won't okay. be from a club membership perspective. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, and what is this noise that we're hearing? Uh, this noise is mining, uh, blockchain miners, Bitcoin miners. Uh, so I don't Tell know us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> mining is... Uh, uh, the way in which Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency is transacted. So there is uh, a Visa network mm -hmm. that is the traditional way that money is, is transacted is through central data centers. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got Silicon Valley, you'll see, you know, huge warehouses full of servers. Mm -hmm. And those servers, when you buy something at Starbucks, that data is going to that server hosting the transaction, they're taking their Visa transactional fee or, mm -hmm. or Amex transactional fee, and then they're clearing it. They hold the fraud risk. They, hold, they, they have a lot of costs that are traditionally uh, incurred through that model. Blockchain, the benefit of it is, is that instead of a centralized place where all that happens, it's hosted by the community and this is part of that community. So when someone, if I wanted to send somebody Bitcoin, it's got to go through a network, just like what you hear in the basement. Mm -hmm. So when there's not transactions being pushed through those, those pieces of hardware, mm -hmm. they're trying to unlock the next blockchain. And so the scarcity that any currency has to have for it to hold value is attached to the electrical consumption required to produce that currency. And these are guessing, random um, guesses against the next algorithm that represents the blockchain that will be unlocked next. So Bitcoin has a scarcity of 21 million Bitcoin that will mm -hmm. ever be in existence. Mm -hmm. We're at like 18 million right now. So in order for the 18 millionth and first Bitcoin mm -hmm. to be created, one of these machines globally has to guess the serial number of that Bitcoin. Okay. okay? Yep. And so think about it like the US dollar. If you had um, the ability to audit the Federal Reserve, you would know exactly how many serial numbers existed. And you would be able to, if there was a a way to digitally track who had those serial numbers, mm -hmm. then you would know where the entire money supply is, right? Mm -hmm. And you would know and have confidence in the store value of that money supply, and you would hold it individually versus it being a promissory note from the Federal Reserve. So if you look on your U.S. dollar, it'll say, you know, it's, it's legal tender yes. to, to transact 
with, but it's not an inherent store of value. There's no actual value differential between a $100 bill and a $1 bill, right? In the paper, you mean. There's, right. It's just paper. Yep. Yep. And so you're trusting the Federal Reserve or the U.S. economy mm-hmm. to have enough GDP to support mm-hmm. those dollars being printed. In Bitcoin, it's the exact opposite. There is a set number of coins that can be produced. Mm -hmm. They have intrinsic value because I actually hold the unique serial numbers Mm -hmm. and everyone in the network knows that I hold those unique serial numbers. And every time I want to buy something with those Bitcoin and I send it to someone else, the entire network confirms that I sent that Bitcoin to someone else and now they are the owner of that unique serial number. Mm -hmm. So it's a way in which there can be no fraud as it relates to inflation of that currency and fraud as it relates to someone telling you that they're gonna send you something and through some um, chargeback, Yep. Or any other method where by which that bank, if I'm doing an international wire, for example, those banks can hold those wires indefinitely. And you're at the mercy of a third party. Whereas yep. the blockchain, there is no third party clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. If I send Bitcoin to someone, I can do it Christmas morning at 9 a.m. on a Sunday. And mm-hmm. as soon as that Bitcoin goes into that person's account, which traditionally will take less than a minute, they own it. They have it. And the entire network's confirmed that they have it. And there's no way to get that Bitcoin back from them other than going and stealing it from them, just like you would steal a gold coin. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Okay. There's a lot there I want to jump into. Um, It's really fascinating. So let's get into that in more detail. I want to ask to sort of set this up at the beginning, though. Like, how did you get here? How did you personally become so interested and involved with uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency in general? I don't believe that the current market is is uh, valid. Uh, I, I think there's we're we're have very high transactional fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm majored in finance, uh, minored in economics. Um, I've been a a gold what they call a gold bug for for 20 years, and a gold bug is someone who believes that the inflation rate that we see against the U.S. dollar has been unhinged from any commodity that really backs that value up. So it's, it would be like borrowing against a home equity line of credit um, disproportionate to the value of your home. So, so much mm-hmm. so that if that credit ever gets called, you couldn't satisfy your debts. You couldn't sell your home for as much as you would need to satisfy that debt. Mm-hmm. And so there were some things that plagued me about the traditional markets that um, caused me to, to really research the history of fiat currency and what traditionally happens to any type of fiat currency over the long haul. And there's never been a fiat currency and fiat currency is, is defined by any means of exchange that have no intrinsic value. So it's just, okay. So that's what defines fiat. That's what defines fiat. Got it. So me and you can make a fiat currency on toothpicks, Mm -hmm. paper with ink on it, Mm -hmm. anything that doesn't have intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. And we can call, as long as the market that we're utilizing this inside of, as long as they believe in the good faith of me and you, they'll transact with toothpicks or US dollars. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fringe um, people in society that 
are what people would consider conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. that have given what I'm talking about a little bit of a bad name. But if you pull all that emotion back and you ask yourself what fiat currency has stood the test of time, the answer is none. Uh, if you ask what the traditional time frame is between the creation of a fiat currency and its failure, average 250 years. Okay, that was my question. Okay, and what we are we at right now? We're way beyond that. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, because of our, so I'm also in the oil and gas business. Mm-hmm. And when I um, understood what the petrodollar was, to the United States and how powerful of a mechanism that was financially, it only unraveled the ball of yarn that much quicker. Okay. What is a petrodollar? So the petrodollar is what we moved to when we moved off the gold standard. Mm. If you have currency that you're inflating, fiat currency that you're inflating, traditionally through like the gold standard, we back up a certain number of those dollars with physical commodities, Mm -hmm. right? And the problem with gold is, is it's so scarce, it doesn't allow us to inflate as quickly as we want to to uh, have the growth curve that we mm-hmm. want to as a country and the world. So we got off the gold standard and we created something called the petrodollar. And the petrodollar is simply this. You cannot buy a barrel of oil. I don't care where you are in the world. Name a country. You cannot buy a barrel of oil in that country without denominating it in U.S. dollars and using U.S. dollars to transact for that barrel of oil. Wait, wait a second. You can't buy a barrel of oil anywhere, in the, anywhere in the world without paying USD for it? Yes. That's called the petrodollar. A lot of people don't know that. I never knew that. Okay, so I want you to think how many countries, in order to sustain their gasoline needs, how much U.S. dollars they have to keep in reserves to make sure that they can make those transactions. Okay, what if the oil, like a lot of it does, doesn't come from America? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what exchange you're on, you cannot buy a barrel of oil. Even if it's that oil comes from the ground in a does not matter. Country in the Middle East and the nation next door buys it. How did we get to how did we get to make that happen? It seems brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant because guess <laughs> how did that come to be? Well, uh, this is where the conspiracy theorists start getting, you know, real crazy. But the reality of it is, is it came about through the, the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is not, the word federal doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. The U.S. government does not own the Federal Reserve. A lot of people don't know that either. Mm-hmm. The central banks own the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And we call it the Federal Reserve to give everyone the, the warm and fuzzies as it mm-hmm. relates to who's really backing that inflation. But it's never been audited. And what happens with the petrodollar is this. It's being inflated against the global economy. The U.S. Mm-hmm. dollar is, right? But being reported in the domestic economy. Okay. So you can prove this by literally anybody that you know can go to any bank in the U.S. and ask for cash out Mm -hmm. of that bank. And if it's above a certain threshold, you will not get the cash out of the bank because the bank does not have the cash to give. Mm -hmm. The bank has to request the cash Mm -hmm. from the Fed window Mm -hmm. and they will deliver it to that bank the next day and then you can pick up your cash. Yes. But if you went into your bank, I don't care how many banks you bank with, uh, you can test this theory yourself. I, I have dozens of times. Just go in and say, I'm buying a custom Harley today off eBay. Seller wants cash. I need 35,000 bucks in cash. You would think with a bank that has 
billions in deposits mm-hmm. that they could come up with 35,000 in hard cash. Yeah. They cannot. Yeah. <laughs> they do not keep that much cash in the bank, mm. which is ludicrous to me. Yep. And when you start connecting the dots of the petrodollar, the inflation domestically versus internationally, mm-hmm. the transactional fees, it becomes very clear that everyone is forced through central shoots for transactional benefit. So they charge banks are transactionally mm-hmm. driven. They make money mm-hmm. on how much money is pushed. Yes. And it's in their best interest to push all that money through one gate, right? Mm. That is not the way in which the world is going to operate. Mm. We're a global economy. People who do business in, in other countries don't want the hassle uh, that traditionally comes with doing large wires internationally. Mm-hmm. And so crypto really is, it, it, it's a disruptor. It changes the entire set of rails that you're transacting against. Mm -hmm. And because there's no central clearing house that's governing when someone gets to release those funds, and it's based upon the blockchain itself and the global decentralized network, Mm -hmm. there's no one that can stop those transactions, right? I don't care if... There's only one machine in existence. Transactions will take slower, but the, no one can stop those transactions. Even if all the machines, we had an EMP blast globally and every piece of technology shut down for a 10-year period, the blockchain would be pure post-10 years. And it would reconcile itself the moment we went back online. Yes, because it can't be, essentially because it can't be tampered with. That's exactly right. Okay. You would have to fool every single right. machine yep. in order to pull one off yep. on the blockchain. Okay, so so when did you stumble across these realizations and what led you to not just being interested and not just a fan of essentially cryptocurrency, but being so active in it? I mean, this is essentially what you're doing now. Um, How long have you been tracking this? Four years since the beginning. But, okay. you know, not the very beginning, but five yeah. years is about as long as anybody's been in this industry. And okay. I got into it because it fascinated me. I, I love disruption. I like, I like to find, you know, I've never seen, uh, the, the, what I would equate it to is this. When the World Wide Web was created, there were people that used it for very bad purposes, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the headlines for a long time. How much e-fraud has the web created for us, right? How many industries like LifeLock, has the web created for us based upon the problems that are inherent in that system, right? We're 1992 in the internet, but on blockchain. Right now with blockchain, we're equivalent to the internet in 1992. Exactly. Okay. So there are people, if I was able to uh, build the first hover car and I was able to establish roads above the current roads, Mm The people that would use those roads to begin with would not be the, the, the right folks. They'd be criminals, right? They'd mm. be trafficking mm-hmm. on those roads. They'd be doing all these things that are illicit. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that that was coming out, it got me very interested and excited about doing it in a legitimate way, mm-hmm. doing it in a way that was transparent, mm-hmm. uh, duplicable across every demographic, U.S. and otherwise, and bringing a uh, legitimate blockchain to the forefront so that we could capitalize on the ease of transactions globally, capitalize on the lower transaction fees, capitalize on the, the fraud of, uh, avoidance that mm-hmm. we would have, 
but also not do it in a way that was, you know, skirting the system, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the biggest black eye that the market's gotten is that the SEC wants to make sure that the right people are pushing real clean dollars through crypto. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that when, these, when this new set of streets were built, people that had other purposes, illicit purposes, were the first people to recognize the fact that they could drive on these roads and no cop could pull them over. Sure. Right? And so if you had a set of roads where you could drive huge amounts of you know, illicit products down yep. the road and there were no cops patrolling the roads, mm-hmm. that would attract that market first. Mm-hmm. And so I took it as a, a challenge to get so knowledgeable and so involved that I could bring a level of legitimacy to that and explain it in such a way that people were not afraid of it, but yes. rather embraced it like we did the internet. Yes, that makes total sense. And if you have those roads above the roads and the first people to use them are, say, criminals, it doesn't mean that those roads shouldn't have been built in the first place. Right. And it doesn't mean they don't have good purposes. That's right. Would we get uh, rid of the internet if we could today? Uh, yeah, of course not. No, of course yeah. not. But is there bad things that go along with it? Absolutely. Certainly. Well, on that front... IBM says that blockchain can do for business what the internet did for communication. If you think about what the internet did for communication, this is actually a pretty good example right now. Because when people hear this coming out on a podcast, that is through the internet. This is communication. You think about the video calls you do. You think about, you just think about what the internet has done for communication. And it's basically changed it in every single possible way. And IBM is saying the blockchain is probably going to do for business what the internet did for communication. So massive. Yeah. So let's say uh, we, we've agreed that blockchain can't be counterfeited, right? So what if, and this is real, this is happening today, and this is what the excitement's around. What if I could write a contract on the blockchain? Mm-hmm. And that contract had clear mechanisms outlined for everybody to see that when this was satisfied, the transaction should be complete, mm-hmm. right? That's called a smart contract. Mm-hmm. That's what Ethereum was the first to do. So Ethereum built a smart contract whereby which if you send me crypto, you're engaging into a contractual obligation with me that now I'm not able to say no to once that transaction's taken place. Yes. So if you remember the movie Aaron Brockovich, have you guys seen that movie? I have not. It's about one of the biggest insurance settlements that, or, or I don't know if it was a settlement or if it was a judgment, but it was about a big industrial company that was polluting this town's water. People were getting sick. They swept everything under the rug. It was a huge movie. Julia Roberts was the star. But it was the largest amount of money, to my knowledge, that was ever granted to the plaintiffs. Mm. Um, And the movie was about the links that these big companies go to to keep that from happening. Certainly. Uh, And so I'm in the insurance business. I've, I've built couple of insurance programs from the ground up. And I understand that market very well. And the biggest problem with insurance, if you buy a whole life policy, the problem is, is that you're trusting other people to pay your family when you're dead. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and if they choose not to pay your family, they can win that battle in court just by throwing money at the wall. Mm. right? Because they are the clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. On the blockchain, there is no central clearinghouse. So if you created an insurance program on the blockchain, for example, and someone's death certificate was proven through second step authentication, mm-hmm. then funds could be released to that family without a human being 
being involved. That is a disruptor unlike yes. anything else. Escrow accounts. If you're buying a piece of property and you put a down payment, you put it in that escrow account. You're trusting that escrow company not to play favorites and you're trusting that escrow company not to spend your money before that transaction because you're using that escrow for the transaction. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do the same thing on the blockchain, but you're not trusting people to do it. You're trusting the entire network to do it. Yes. And there's no way for them not to do it. So you're in a very good position. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do want to get into smart contracts a little bit more, but first I sort of wanted to zoom us out and then bring us in with some context. So if you were to zoom out, any discussion that's going to involve blockchain, cryptocurrency, smart contracts, what needs to be in that discussion? Like what needs to be the topic headers essentially? So obviously blockchain, cryptocurrency, smart contracts. I mean, is there others that come to mind? It's like, hey, if you're having a discussion, you just need to throw kind of all the big rocks in first and then you can talk about it from there and dig in. What, what, are, the, what are the things that need to be talked about in those discussions? The first so, thing you need to do in any discussion is talk about the regulations. Okay. Right. Um, you can't very well ask the world to trust you if you're doing it in the dark. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the first step to anything that I do in blockchain is to get the regulators involved, get the right legal counsel, have a lot of people who are, you know, cutting through this you know, path mm -hmm. with a machete to find out what should be done as standard best practices, what shouldn't be done as standard best practices, and putting a lot of thought and planning into that mm -hmm. is the first step. Because okay. if you haven't done that, you're out on your own. You're, mm -hmm. you're just riding, you know, out there hoping that you don't get called, you know, down. And, and, and that's not something that I believe, it's something that happened over the last two years at Epic proportions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of money that's been raised, I want you to think about this. Five years ago, there was no crypto market. The market cap on all of the cryptocurrencies was zero. Today, it's 200 billion plus. Mm. Six months ago, it was 750 billion plus. So all of that value is capital gains, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And we owe it to ourselves to establish rules as it relates to how those are taxed, what's an accredited investor, how we keep money from illicit people coming into the blockchain mm -hmm. and tainting the pool. Mm -hmm. Those are all things that because the roads were utilized by the wrong people to begin with, we have to get, if we're gonna drive on those roads, we have to have a license plate we have to have tags. We have to have means for, you know, the, the right folks to monitor our activity mm -hmm. and to bless it uh, yep. one way or another. And that the hard thing about where we are in the industry is, is this is, we're in virgin waters. Mm -hmm. No one's done this before. Even the regulators really don't know ultimately where this is going to go. And so everybody's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, working on what they believe to be the best way to manage it, but it's far from over. Mm -hmm. No different than, you know, people will come to me all the time and say, well, Bitcoin, it's going to be the biggest heavyweight forever, right? I mean, we should just buy it and forget about it. Well, was AOL the biggest heavyweight in, in the internet? Yeah. What happened to AOL? <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was. Who knows? <laughs> That's exactly right. And that's the same. What is this AOL you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the same thing could happen with the different 
like Bitcoin and the different currencies. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So regulation. Okay. So that's one that I hadn't thought about. Is there other things that come to mind that need to be in the discussion when you're having a discussion like this? Expectations. Uh, there's too many people that are trying to get into this to get rich quick. Mm -hmm. And they, they believe the emotion, the hype that's behind the industry. Mm -hmm. That's a recipe for disaster as far as I'm concerned. Um, you get into this industry, from my position, you should be getting into this industry if you believe it's the future and you're willing to pay to develop the future, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon would be a good example of that. All the financial analysts were like, at the early days, Amazon's going to go under. They've never made a profit. I don't even know if today they've even made a profit, right? Mm -hmm. But they were betting on the digital land, the digital property that existed. And they wanted to be known as the people who could transact against any of that property, right? So mm -hmm. they wanted to sell books. They want to sell everything you can buy. They want to be the person that you buy it from. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't focused on getting rich quick. They were focused on market share. They were focused on doing it in a way that served the, the end user, right? Making it convenient. That's why they're looking at drone deliveries and buying Whole Foods so they can get a more real-world brick-and-mortar presence to expand those offerings to the general public. That's the way in which blockchain needs to be approached. It's not about you getting rich. Mm -hmm. It's about building a legitimate business that the end user finds valuable. Yes. That's the way you're going to have longevity. Okay. All right. So let's, let's start with blockchain just a little bit. So how would you define blockchain? And we, we don't have to get too detailed on this because I feel like it's something people can find on Google a little bit and it would take a long time to really discuss it or explain it properly. But if you were to describe blockchain to someone, how do you describe it? It's a decentralized open ledger. So blockchain allows everyone who's in that network or even outside that network. If I give you my Bitcoin address, mm -hmm. you can type it into blockchain, the, the actual blockchain itself, mm -hmm. and you can see every transaction I've made, how much my balance is currently. Now, you don't know who I am unless mm -hmm. you know that that's my address, mm -hmm. but it's completely transparent across everyone. Mm. So one thing I've never tried to do is access the blockchain. I mean, is that something you do? Like you have... Your desk is right back there and your computer's right back there. Like, can you now go on and see this blockchain? Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you see? You see the unique serial numbers. Okay. And who owns them. You and, see and names? What, uh, no. You see, okay. you see accounts. So if I have a wallet, okay. imagine a human being having a unique identifier attached to them like a social security number. Mm-hmm. When I enter that unique identifier in there, that social security number allows everyone who has that social security number to see all of my transactions. Okay. And so it's a transparent way. Now, there are lots of cryptocurrencies that are coming out called privacy coins mm -hmm. that are encrypting that data so that you cannot see it. Uh, and that's some of the gray space that exists in the market in terms of, okay, great. There's some value from a... Uh, population perspective and not having that. Yep. But there's also a lot of risk mm -hmm. from a transparency perspective in having that. Okay, so for someone that's listening to this right now, they might their laptop happens to be available and they could go on there and look. Or when I get home this afternoon, can I, do you have to sign up for something? Do you have to register for something? Or how can I see this? 
any number of exchanges. So there are, um, have you heard of Coinbase? Mm -hmm. Coinbase is an exchange like TD Ameritrade. Mm -hmm. You don't hold the stock certificates that you buy through TD Ameritrade. They hold them for you. Sure. Right. You have a membership account. TD Ameritrade reports to the government how much you bought, what your gains are, so that when you do your taxes, you can reconcile that and pay the appropriate amount. In the blockchain, it's the exact same thing, but there are companies that are legitimate exchanges like Coinbase Mm -hmm. who are doing the exact same thing. They don't give you the individual serial number attached to that Bitcoin. They keep that. So there is third-party risk, right? If Coinbase decides not to give you access to that, you don't have the gold coin. They're Mm -hmm. holding the gold coin for you and you have a membership ID that goes into it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe that uh, one of the hard parts about the blockchain is, is you have to have those central, you know, agencies or clearinghouses in order to report back to the government. But at the same time, it defeats the purpose mm-hmm. because you're not holding the asset, right? right. You're, you still have the third party or counterparty risk that you would have in holding a U.S. dollar, but much less so because Coinbase isn't the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that is one way. If you opened up a Coinbase account today, I see. you could access the blockchain, you could buy and sell any currency that they offer. But then there's another way to go about it. So you can also go to Litecoin's website itself and you can open up an address with them and I could send you Litecoin to that address. And you do hold the physical serial numbers then you have that, and there is no reporting mechanism. You're the one that needs to report that to your CPA, show them what you have, and pay those taxes according to you know what the law is. Okay. So and that, everyone does that for sure. Every well, you're, we're hoping everyone does that. That's 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 again part of the the problems that exist sure. today, and yep. how you know everyone's trying to get ahead of those problems. Uh, but yeah, there. So to access the blockchain is as simple as having a unique identifier that you went and got from one of the blockchains. So the Litecoin blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, the Monero blockchain. Mm-hmm. I can go to Monero.com. I can get a Monero address. Mm-hmm. And I can then, it's, I'm, I'm the bank. I it's see. like having a routing number for me. Yes. And anyone who wants to send me Monero can send it to that routing number. Got it. Right. But obviously you need an access point. That's right. To, to see the, the blockchain. Okay, so the blockchain is essentially, obviously, it's the underlying technology that supports all of these other things, the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. And we couldn't have cryptocurrency really, at least to the extent that we have it, without the blockchain. Yeah, the, the, I would give the analogy like this. Blockchain is DOS. Uh, Bitcoin is Windows. Okay. So DOS is running behind Windows. You cannot build Windows without yeah. DOS. Yeah. But... So blockchain is DOS. It's the code that governs the icons that you see. Bitcoin is one of those icons. Ethereum is one of those icons. Yes, got it. And blockchain essentially holds in permanent record forever transactions that are done. They can't go back and be undone. And the more transactions or contracts, and the more transactions or contracts that happen, the more settled those are and become even more permanent over time. To Like you said, if you ever wanted to tamper with this thing, you would have to tamper with every computer globally that's ever been involved with the blockchain, correct? correct? And that's improbable. 
especially at the level that we have today. I mean, we've got right. across all of these different currencies, you've got tremendous amount of people that are already invested in yes there. okay so then so then we have blockchain which is the underlying technology and cryptocurrency bitcoin one of which is mm -hmm. and it was bitcoin that you said has maximum 21 million yeah bitcoin yep um what stops and right so right now again we're hearing this mining operation that's for bitcoin specifically uh no it's for litecoin and bitcoin okay but just those two yeah litecoin and bitcoin uh -huh. okay um, it's it, not a mining operation. I have these there's a few units, two or three units that I use for show and tell. Okay. It, it's a tangible way to explain to people what a decentralized network looks like. Right? Yes. Uh, it would be the equivalent of me taking the data center that Visa uses and them saying, you know what, we're not going to be responsible for this anymore. Anyone who wants to buy some of these servers and put them in your house, come get them. And okay. you're going to pay for the hosting costs. You're going to pay for the electricity costs. But you're going to also get the benefit of the transactions that go through it. So it's a mini okay. transaction. Fascinating. Network. Okay. So I've never thought about it in that term. And that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So it, instead of a hacker trying to crack into one facility yes. in, in Silicon Valley, they can't crack it because... I own two machines, you yeah. own two machines, everybody in this room owns two machines, yep. and you'd have to hack all of us, plus the other millions of users, yes. to pull one over on the network. Yes. And the harder it becomes to hack and use badly, the harder it is just naturally to regulate. Correct. And so so if there's two businesses or, or two people that keep popping back up in the Wall Street Journal, almost on a daily basis, you can just tell these two parties are not the Wall Street Journal's favorite. It's everything to do with cryptocurrency and it's Tesla. I mean, it's like, they, it's just, they're not their favorite. And maybe it's for good reason, maybe it's not, but it's clear like that whole scene, cryptocurrency and blockchain, or well, cryptocurrency in particular, um, there's a lot of like bad things being said about it. So why is that? Is it fear out of regulation? No. If there's just so much good, no. why is there so much bad being said about Very it? Very simply this. You tell everybody you hate something while you're buying it. Hmm. So there's only 21 million Bitcoin. How many millionaires in the world exist? Mm -hmm. More than 21 million. Mm -hmm. If everybody wants one, price goes to the moon. That's mm -hmm. why people know that eventually Bitcoin will go to 100,000 apiece, million apiece. There are people that believe it'll be 10 million apiece. Hmm. And that's based upon the scarcity that exists, mm -hmm. based upon uh, I have this conversation with high net worth individuals all the time. You believe in diversification as a means to hedge against risk, right? That's why you buy mutual funds. You don't go, if you take a million dollars cash to your financial advisor and say, invest this in the market, they're not going to go, I really believe in Hewlett Packard. Right. I'm going to buy all million dollars worth of Hewlett Packard today, right? Mm -hmm. They do two things to, to alleviate volatility. They dollar cost average that million into the market, so they buy small incremental chunks so they have a healthy sampling of the volatility of the market and then they buy mutual funds so that all that risk isn't tied to one balance sheet it's tied yes. to a sector or an index right uh, that is what in blockchain what's happening is is that all of the big companies that want to take a stake in it have been they're late to the party mm. there's been upwards of 750 billion dollars created at a cost basis of zero, mm. right? I meet with people all the time that have a cost basis in Bitcoin at $25. Mm. 
It's at trading at 7,000 today. Mm-hmm. So in order for the big banks to get their position, it's in their best interest to drive the price down as they accumulate. And that's mm. why you see so much negativity in the press. But if you talk about the negativity, Goldman Sachs, for example, you know, for a long time, they were just negative. They were just like the, uh, the, everybody else. They were just constantly putting out negativity as it relates to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Well, now they have a crypto division. Mm. So mm. do you think they opened, opened that crypto division overnight? No. They've been accumulating expertise mm-hmm. and positions in that so that they can offer that to their clients and yes. their customers. Yep. And if they don't accumulate that position, they're at the mercy of the price of the market and the yes. volatility and the explosion that can happen based upon the scarcity that exists. Yep. So Litecoin has 84 million potential Litecoin to be created. So it's four to one off of mm-hmm. Bitcoin. It's the silver to Bitcoin's gold. And mm. it's, it was created to facilitate smaller transactions. Buying a pack of gum. You would use Litecoin. Absolutely. Okay, so one thing I was going to ask about was, obviously one thing that came up you know, in the last couple of years was, hey, Bitcoin is, what is it worth right now, $7,000? Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do with a Bitcoin when you want to buy a pizza? And there was a thought back then that you would have these peripheral financial markets where you would buy a pizza and then some fuel and then some groceries and then pay for your parking. And then that would all like get consolidated and run on the blockchain at one point. Mm-hmm. So is Litecoin... Where is the thinking on that peripheral financial market now? So instead of me having to deal in thousands of decimal places, like if I wanted to buy a pack of gum or a mm-hmm. cup of coffee with Bitcoin, I'd be dealing with 0.0000137, and you'd see this 15-digit yep. decimal behind the, the, the zero um, saying that's how much actual real dollars we're transacting against this this good or service, right? Um Litecoin is $60 a piece. So now I'm not dealing in those crazy decimals and it's making the, the transaction that much easier to understand. Yeah. Uh, no different than DOS and Windows. That icon that I can see visually makes it a lot easier for me to understand what's really going on behind the, the scenes as it relates to coding. I don't need to be yes. a programmer anymore. I can just look at the icon, click on it for the printer, and it opens up my printer. Got it. Um, one quick question I want to ask is, so what stops the machine at $21 million in this Bitcoin? Like, is there, it is was it a smart in? contract. So it was written. Really? Absolutely. So Bitcoin is going to stop at $21 million because of it, a smart contract. It governs itself. There is no third party. It was written into existence. And that's what is mind-boggling about this. When life was breathed into that code, Mm -hmm. it governs itself. Mm -hmm. We don't even know who created it. Yes. Think about that. Yep. And yet it's a $200 billion industry that's being utilized every day, all day long. Yep. Uh, Okay, so it will stop at 21 million. No one needs to flip a switch. Nope. Okay, we're looking at something here. And, and by the way, we're having our first live GBS podcast. So we had some folks coming over that are ready to ask some questions soon. I want to get to that. But first of all, in the middle of our meeting area, there is a contraption. What is this? I don't want to go into too much detail okay. about it. But um, I will tell you what my purpose in life as it relates to blockchain is to make America see the value. America is the last one to the party. Mm. Um, and it's because we have such a strong financial uh, 
presence, right? Yes. We control that. We have the most to lose. We, if we this have thing the, sort of gets away from us, or well, we're last to the party. I wouldn't say we have the most to lose because I believe the the ingenuity that we possess uh, allows us to get ahead of anything that we want to get ahead of. Mm-hmm. Uh, no different than we, we created the first computer. Sure. Right. Uh, we're creating the first of its kind on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I can't remember where I left off. Uh, I was asking about this. Oh, you, oh. Don't, you do not have to get into specifics. So um, here, here's but, the point about this. Um, we have infrastructure today all over the U.S. How much energy do we waste on a day-to-day basis? Right? What if I told you that energy that we're wasting represents 30 to 50% of the cost of goods sold in crypto creation? Hmm. So if you can find ways to utilize the infrastructure. Let's go back to an oil and gas analogy, right? There's a rule in the oil and gas sector that nobody outside of Texas really understands, but it's never sell royalties. Never. Yeah. Why? Because if the price of oil goes down to a certain point, the people who are controlling that well will dial back production so that mm-hmm. they're not pulling commodity out of the ground at a price that they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And they know that commodity is not going anywhere, right? And so what will happen over time that a lot of people don't account for is, is that technology as it progresses on Moore's law, it allows you to get more and more reserves out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So you, if you take a field that you did seismic on and you estimated the reserves and you had a depreciation curve against those reserves plotted out mm-hmm. 60 years ago, mm-hmm. that curve through technological breakthroughs is constantly getting more and more stable because you're able to access more and more reserves, right? Yep. I look, when I go down to Texas and I look at a well that's been drilled, it's already been worked. There's pipe down the ground, but it's shut down. Mm-hmm. And you can appropriate some technology to open that up. Yeah. How much avoidance cost is there? Well, it takes about 2 million bucks to drill a well. Mm. So, my point is the infrastructure and the sunk costs mm-hmm. that are the highest proportionate to the risk have already been incurred. Right. Right? Yep. Someone else bore that risk when they drilled the well. And whether they produced or they didn't produce is nothing to do with me at that point. Mm-hmm. The well either has opportunity to produce or it doesn't today based upon where we are te- technologically. Mm-hmm. And if I can find a well that I can produce a few barrels of oil through that technological mechanism, Mm -hmm. I don't have to incur the risk of drilling it to get it, right? America's sitting in the exact same place. America has the infrastructure already built to support Mm. the blockchain. Mm -hmm. We have so much waste in that infrastructure that we can utilize technological advancements and systematic standard best practices to tap into that reserve and mine and take possession of the bandwidth that's needed to call ourselves the leader mm. and to control the market from a transactional perspective, we already have so much waste in our current infrastructure. We could accomplish that without building new roads. Got it. Right. Okay. Okay. And this is one way that you can see. This is one way in that. which we can assist that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask this. I don't want to be too specific, but if someone were to buy a miner, I understand that you can buy them off Amazon. You, you can buy, buy them off the internet. Yeah, okay. eBay. What does it look like? Does it look like the thing at the bottom there? 
yeah, that is it. So that's it right yeah, there. Okay, uh, that is a miner, and it's nothing more than a server. Okay, but it's it. Um, it they're called ASIC miners. Okay, application specific integrated something. Um, and that's an acronym that means that doesn't do anything but mine the specific algorithm that was engineered to mine. So when you buy gotcha. a Litecoin miner, you are mining Litecoin and only Litecoin, and there's okay. no other purpose that, that that piece of hardware can be utilized for okay, other than it. mining Litecoin and hosting Litecoin transactions. Okay, got it. So I can buy a little piece of hardware that looks just like that, yep. and I can buy it on Amazon. I can plug it in at my house. Yep. Now, when I buy it, it's either going to mine specifically Litecoin or Bitcoin or something. There are a few technologies. So as Moore's Law, mm -hmm. now people are building miners that can switch. Okay. And you can, you can, but, but it can only mine one at a time. One at a time. Okay. Okay. So, and all right. So in theory, I could buy that miner. I could plug it in my house. It could start doing mining activities. It would sort of help the common good, if you will. The more the merrier, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Just the more the safer it is. Yeah. Um, it's also trying to unlock the next Next what? What's that term? Blockchain. Okay, it's trying That's to unlock it's the next blockchain. called blockchain because there's a chain, and we're looking at the next link to the chain. Okay. And everybody's guessing at that algorithm so that that next link gets added to the blockchain. Gotcha. And you said that I can buy those things on Amazon, have them running a little bit, and pays you? It does. Like you, okay. Yeah, you get paid just like you would any Visa transaction. You're getting a portion. Okay, because you're, you're part of the overall system at that Absolutely. point. Okay, got it. All right. So one of the listener questions that came in um, was, and it's a good question, is what should the common man or the everyday person be thinking about or doing right now? And and I would say that that's one part of the question. The second question I want to ask is what should the average business owner or business leader be doing right now about this? I'm going to answer that in a way that is not financial advice. Okay. Mm -hmm but it's economic principle, okay? Diversification mm -hmm. is any, any diversification is good for volatility and for risk. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether it's diversification in uh, having a backup generator at your house versus the power lines mm -hmm. or diversification in asset categories or asset classes. Mm -hmm. So I ask high net worth individuals all the time, if something like what happened in Spain happens here, how much of your net worth is denominated in something other than U.S. dollars? First reaction to everybody is, oh, I own a bunch of property. Do you pay your taxes in U.S. dollars of that property? Yeah. What happens if you don't pay your taxes in U.S. dollars? Do you own the property anymore? No. How can you sell that property in the United States unless you're denominating it in U.S. dollars? Mm -hmm. So, even property, even tangible real assets, because they're tied to the U.S. dollar and because they're tied to fiat currency as a whole, I believe that it's prudent for anyone to diversify some of their net worth into something that's not in that basket. Mm. So the yeah. old you know, adage, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Yep. If a fiat currency fails, every egg in that basket falls to the ground and cracks, mm -hmm. right? If you have two baskets... And let's say I got 10 eggs, my whole net worth in one basket that is denominated in U.S. dollars, and I take one egg, 10%, and put it in another basket. If the bottom falls out of the basket with nine, how much worth is going to be found in that one egg in that other basket? Mm -hmm. More than 10x. So it's an insurance policy, if mm -hmm. you will, against the current 
transactional network and against the current fiat currency that you are denominated against, whether mm -hmm. you're in US or, or abroad. You know, everybody who lives in any country, is, their net worth is denominated in that country's fiat currency. Okay, so one of the things you would say to the common man is use this for diversification. Yep. And you would do that by buying, essentially buying some Bitcoin, if that's the one well, you wanted to buy. Absolutely. Okay. I, what I, I love Ripple. Okay. Ripple is a, like if you, if you want to see how vested the traditional markets are mm -hmm. in blockchain, you look at Ripple. The central banks own Ripple. Mm -hmm. They use it right now. They've tested it to push large banking transactions across their network mm -hmm. to prove its validity. They love it. It's the third largest crypto that exists market cap wise. Hmm. So if you what want- the first two? Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay. If you want to, if, let's say you just don't believe it's time for you to get on one of these currencies that isn't regulated and mm -hmm. isn't run by the traditional markets, mm -hmm. you could go through Ripple and you're buying a blockchain asset that is controlled by the same people that you've got that are controlling your U.S. dollars. Okay. Okay. So what should the average small business owner be thinking about as it relates to blockchain, cryptocurrency, et cetera? Is there something they should be doing on the business side to prepare? Yeah, they should be looking at what their transactional costs are and what the advantage would be to pushing some of that volume across a network that has a lot lower transactional costs. And looking at their key risk points as it relates to a central clearinghouse being a disruptor in their operational flow mm -hmm. and testing the other set of rails, the blockchain, as a means to, uh, as a pressure release. So let's say we run into times where it is hard to get large cash um, transfers or mm -hmm. large uh, wires out of the bank. Well, by setting up a system now, even if you don't utilize it, when that event takes place, you have a backup. You have a means mm -hmm. to transact mm -hmm. that you control versus someone else controlling it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Hunter or Patrick, do you have any questions you want to? Yeah, Tim, and I think the one question I have is when do you believe this will be mass accepted? You know, like I'm thinking, my wife probably doesn't even know what Bitcoin is. And I know my in-laws don't, nor my, you know, so for the older generation first, you know, when are they going to, when's the younger generation going to accept it? And then when could we see it as the mode of tender that we use? Your question is, I'm going to answer it in two parts. There are certain countries that are resistant to that um, being the common practice, right? If you go to China today, you will, it's a cashless society. So this is standard practice. Now it's not on the blockchain quite yet, but it's all through QR codes. You pay through apps, Venmo, PayPal, all those are extensions of the problem that fiat currency posed, but it's a temporary solution because it's still going through the same clearinghouses at the same transactional costs at the same fraud rate. And so to answer your question, the media has played a big role in discounting the value that exists today. Like my law firm, very large law firm, they take crypto as payment. People don't know that. You can pay them for your law services in crypto Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Yeah. Today, I do. Yep. 
Every piece of equipment I buy, I pay in crypto. Um, it's being adopted daily across every market globally that exists. It just hasn't been adopted here as quickly as it's being adopted other places. Speaking of PayPal, Venmo, and so forth, would we, I, I would assume you have, well, there's Coinbase or some kind of app that you would pay using Bitcoin or one of the others. Yeah. Is that? So I, I pub apps all the time that I believe in. And there's one in particular I'm really high on right now. It's called Abra, like Abracadabra, A-B-R-A. You can set it up, set up your account on your phone. It will give you, um, this will be a good segue into what seed codes are, but it will give you the ability to create your own blockchain account. And I can buy over 50 fiat currencies and over 20 cryptocurrencies, yep, instantaneously. So if I'm going to you know, Russia, I don't have to go get rubles when I arrive at the airport. I literally today, right now, in a matter of five seconds, transfer as much US dollars into rubles as I want. I can also do the same thing into Bitcoin, Litecoin, or anything else through Abra. And I can literally swap those instantly across any sector that I want to uh, have those assets in. They're making it easy, right? So my encouragement would be to people who don't understand the, the basics, download Abra and look at it like Venmo. But look at it against the options that Venmo gives you. Venmo is a great way to send things back and forth, but you're only going to be sending US dollars back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. This, I can literally pay people in any country with their fiat currency or with the blockchain and any number of cryptocurrencies instantly. Is Abra connected to your bank account? That So it's connected to your bank account where you can pull money in and out of it. And that is the way in which you pull cash out in the real world. But it's not tied to your bank account in the sense that the bank controls it. They can't do anything with it. It's on the blockchain. It's just a means to deposit, right? And uh, I was going to lead into the seed code side of things. So the way in which when I create a wallet, a unique identifier that I'm going to use as my bank account. Anytime you create that, the way in which you recover that, the way in which I own that store of value in perpetuity, whether I lose my phone, like I, I'm, let's say I download the Abra app and I put 10 bucks on it, right? And then somebody steals my phone. If I have the seed code, which is 12 to 24 words, that they give me, and I remember those words, then that seed code is mine forever, right? And the seed code that you possess is tied to that unique identifier. That it, you're, then you're done. <laughs> if you forget the seed code, that was the question. If you forget the seed code and you lost your hardware, you're done. You are done. You've you have lost, lost it. that money. It would be like yeah. carrying cash in a boat and the boat sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So then that seed code is 12 to 24 words. Mm -hmm. But if you lost your wallet, if you lost the hardware and Doesn't you have matter. it, it's no, it's no problem. No at problem all. at all. No matter how much is in that account, Doesn't essentially, matter. whether it's millions or 10, 10 bucks. So if I remember my seed code and I memorize it and I um, am in any country yeah, and I lose my phone, lose my wallet, my cold storage wallet, any of those things, yep. it's as simple as buying a new wallet 
and restoring my seed code and my balance. You know, it's it's really like how everything is is supposed to be. You know what I mean? The idea you would go to another country and lose your wallet and be screwed. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Even smart contracts. That's actually one. I mean, I, we don't have time to dig into it too much today, but it's like, how does this not already exist? The fact that we can make an agreement and we can say done and we can walk away. And when things happen, it happens. We don't have to get back together again and say, remember what we said? Look at this word. Now let's do that. It just happens. The same reason why the utility companies lobby against renewable resources. They have invested trillions of dollars in the infrastructure. So sure. you, you, you are participating in a disruptor yeah. that could take over the world, right? Yep. And displace every current bank, every current insurance company. And insurance and banking, ask Warren Buffett, are the two biggest industries that mm -hmm. exist, right? Yep. And they don't want to allow that to take over. They want to be a part of it. And so that's the flux that you see happening today is that they're discounting the validity of it while they accumulate their position. And then once they have their position, they will let the market do what the market does, which is appreciate. My question is kind of macro. Um, I'll set it up a little bit. So, you know, up until 200 years ago, 150 years ago, the only way that uh, we could conceive of to harvest cotton was through the existence of slavery, mm -hmm. right? There was, you know, defenders of slavery argued that doing away with slavery would mean economic destruction and chaos. Similar arguments are made to defend the existence of the nation state. The nation state's the only way that today we understand how to protect basic human rights, life, liberty, property, et cetera. Um, but there's tremendous costs with that. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's 30% of, or 40 or 50% of the fruits of your labor go to, are forcibly taken yep. to, you know, provide for the existence of the nation state. Um, not to mention the 150 million people who have died at the hands of various nation states in the last 200 years. So do you think there's a future in which there, this, the same type of economic and moral arguments that eventually ended slavery will cause us to look to alternatives to the nation state in order to protect life, liberty, and property? And if so, is blockchain one of the technologies that we could build a future society on? Absolutely. So there are countries that are putting all their voting processes on the blockchain, including the United States. Uh, I read an article that the reservists and the next election that are abroad will be casting their absentee votes on a blockchain mechanism mm -hmm. so that you know, you, IDs are confirmed, counts are confirmed, and there's no fraud in how many votes are cast, right? Uh, so there are many, many ways for the blockchain to help the government. And I've never seen a, a revolution globally in my lifetime that the United States hasn't been the spear tip on. Look at the internet, right? We created it. We created the computers. We created automobiles. We created everything that's driving global commerce. The only thing that I see us not spearheading is blockchain, which to me is a unique shift in America's position globally. And I have a vested interest in educating America to the point that they don't believe that it's a threat, but it's actually something that we, because we are the most innovative people on the planet, if we embrace it, we can innovate the industries around the blockchain. The blockchain is, again, in its infancy, right? 
just like LifeLock and AOL and any number of other e-services have been created more efficiently since that than they were before that. E-Assurance is one of those insurance companies that actually publicizes this. We were built on the internet. We drive a lot of those savings back into the premiums that we collect or value to the end user. And so it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace and get ahead of. And we're still early in the game. And we as entrepreneurial-based Americans have the ability to say, you know what, this is something that is good for America. I'm going to create an industry based upon the blockchain and the advantages that it lends itself to that industry in particular. I don't think of it as something that is a threat. I actually think of it as something no different than we, when we chose to put the federal highway system in, in place, right? It cost us all an arm and a leg, but it also made us different than every other country in the world because you could take a truck and load it with goods and sell it in California and drive those goods from New York to California and drop them off, right? You can't do that even to this date in a lot of the countries I've been in. So blockchain is the same way. It's, it's a set of roads that have been created and there's very few cars and traffic on it. And it's, it's my and our responsibility to elevate the conversation to a place where people start seeing it as an opportunity, not as a threat. So let me go a little deeper. Uh, you mentioned how America may become a leader or should become a leader in this, but I'm, I'm going down further down the road in terms of, is there a future in which, and again, again, there's no way to know this for sure, but is there a future that, you know, a society becomes enlightened in the same way that we became enlightened, we, de- we decided that slavery, owning 100% of the fruits of, one's, of someone's labor is not a moral or economic solution to getting the job done. Is there a future in, in which we kind of wake up and go, there's better ways to provide for human rights than the existence of our beloved nation states. But I, I would argue today that the global corporate uh, corporations, the corporate structure that we find ourselves in today has already done that. So, you know, remember when the automobile industry was a domestic sector, mm-hmm. Ford, Chevy, they were American companies. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anymore, right? All these companies are global companies. They don't answer to Americans. That's why Trump came in and said, we're going to hold those companies accountable, right? If they're going to do business here, they're going to do right by the U.S. people. We've already let the global corporations tell us that slavery, in your example, is good. That You know, they can push as much sugar out into our junk food, into our sodas, into whatever they want to create addiction. Cigarette companies, great example of it. Blockchain allows us to fight back against those central powers and to make them have to answer to the people because we control the blockchain versus them colluding with the banks and the governments through lobbyist efforts and us being controlled by them. And so I I think of blockchain as actually aiding the people. We own it. Think about it. No central agency can shut it down on a global Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. That is the disruptor that allows the people to take back their freedom. And I, you know, when you play Monopoly, I don't know if y'all play Monopoly, Mm -hmm. you know the point in the game 
where you know who's going to win, mm -hmm. but you could still play for two more hours right. rolling the dice yeah. and going around the board. <laughs> We've been there for a long time. I don't care where you land on the board, you lose. Right. Right. This is some spaces on the board that you don't lose when you land on. I'm a huge fan of that kind of decentralization. And I'm, I'm curious, it, you know, you haven't said this much, but widespread adoption of the blockchain and cryptocurrency has to mean the end of dollar hegemony. Of what? Dollar hegemony or, or you know. I, I don't. And, and I, if so, it, that has, you know, radical implications for the Federal Reserve for, and which I'm all for, by the way, um, but I'm curious your perspective. I, I don't think that. I don't, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a compliment, right? Um, there's absolutely a place for the Federal Reserve, right? They've done a masterful job of creating the value that we are riding on as Americans, right? We have been able to push more wealth into the world than any other. I would say they mm -hmm. have been able to push more wealth into the world than anyone else. That's what Greenspan was so known for is, is the economic you know, incentives that he brought to the table through policy. So those people are the best and the brightest. They're the smartest people that exist as it relates to macroeconomics, how these mar free markets should be governed, operated. But it's run away from us. It's gotten to a point where the people who created that vision are not the people who control it now. And now it's a land grab, just like you saw when the big bailout happened. Remember the banking bailout? How mm -hmm. much of that money came to, to us? None. None. Of it. Yeah, it went to the big bankers. Right. And, and so that system isn't invalid. It just needs checks and balances, just like our government has built itself on these checks and balances. There are branches of government to hold each other accountable to the policy that the American people vote into existence. There's no counterbalance to the weight on the scale. This is the counterbalance. We'll slighten it up a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I'm just trying to think. I'm putting myself in a listener's shoes right now. And I think what we all want to know is how does it actually impact us? Now, now we, we can talk about the little silver blockchain computer deal. We could talk about how the smart contract's going to revolution. We can talk about all this. But, man, I just want to know on my iPhone, can I get on an app and use this thing? That's all I care about. And, and is it going to be easier than getting on my app and using Venmo or whatever else. And so what's the usability? How simple is it? Walk us through that. That is exactly why we're in 1992 of the internet because it was cumbersome. Remember dial-up connections? Remember how limited they were? Yeah, and the noise and all those things. We're there, right? And so um, because we don't need it as bad as Spain needs it. We're just kind of passive as it relates to really how excited we're getting about it. Download Abra, utilize it, transfer some money to one of your friends, and you will see that it's exactly the same from an ease of usability perspective as any of the Venmos or the yeah, PayPal or anything else. But it also has 
unlimited options as it relates to what currency you're transferring and who owns that currency and who's going to control that currency in your cold storage wallet going forward. Mm-hmm. And eventually, what you know, I'm predicting this. I, this is not you know uh, something that anybody's saying uh, other than speculators, speculators like me. But eventually. I believe every human being will have a unique blockchain identifier attached to them, like a social security number, and it will be your global identifier. And you will have the ability through simple apps, simple icons, you'll have unbelievable transparency, no fraud, absolute security, and the ease of use will be above anyone else. Why? Because ease of use is also about breadth of offering, right? And so ease of use, if I'm going to another country, includes how easy is it for me to transfer my fiat currency from one you know, to the other? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Patrick, I actually have a question for you uh, because I know you think about these things. So I'm curious, what is the potential ramifications you see of the blockchain on the, uh, on the nation state? Um, I think that you know, if if everybody eventually has their own unique identifier and we have the situation you just outlined, I think the case for a nation state that's defined by soil and geographic proximity and, um, you know, the same allegiances that your neighbors have and all of that, I think that's probably not an idea that people will have in 500 years from now. I think that that 30 to 50 percent burden on our productivity and our economic output um, will go away. And I think we'll, we'll operate in a much freer and more peaceful society. I would agree. So at that point, it's more about are you living on Earth or Mars, not are you living in United States of America or Canada? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, while the idea of identifying, you know, with a nation state as your own is one that we can't really picture any other alternative to, today. I would argue that that's similar to not being able to picture an alternative to slavery um, as, a, as an agribusiness model. Um, defenders of slavery argued that it was even in the Bible, right? It's the natural state of man. We've shown that's not true. We've, you know, we've become enlightened, if you will. Um, and, you know, as we are in the business of working with God to renew all things, um, I believe that, you know, the, the violence and the cost and the force involved in the sustenance of the nation state will become a burden that we won't want to bear at some point. And if we have technology that makes, uh, that gives us an alternative to protect life, liberty, and property, I'll certainly be shouting from the rooftops that we adopt it. And I would say that I think we're already there. And then I'll point to the Olympic Games. How many players live in America for hockey, for example, play on a NHL team uh, and go to their country of origin to play in the Olympics. They have national pride. We identify as Americans. We, we love America. We want America to be great. We don't have to sacrifice that in order to transact with people freely across those international boundaries, right? I don't think it's, again, an either or. I think that we can have pride in our geographical landmass or, or in our economy, in our ingenuitive spirits and, and in the things that we possess as a nation based upon our history, right? Just like Mexico. Mexico has tr- a lot of problems, 
but they also have a lot of great cultural things to contribute to the world. Like their food. I'm a foodie. <laughs> I, I don't see the world going without Mexican food, right? And so that doesn't mean that you have to buy Mexican food in a U.S. dollar and a peso to recognize the value of that culture and to preserve that value with national pride. I, I don't think it's an either or. I, I really think it's a and. I think that the the way in which monetary policy has been um, created is that we didn't have the technology right 100 years ago, even 30 years ago. So anything we created, we had to keep under covers because it didn't do any good for us to share it because we weren't doing any business with those people. Now that we are doing business with people, it's actually to our benefit to show them our capabilities and to do business with them across international boundaries. Mm-hmm. You're not saying, though, that in order to enjoy street tacos, that, that the people of Mexico have to give up 40% of the fruits of their labor to support a corrupt cabal that rules over them, right? Correct. So if, if, if they're able to eliminate that in some way, let's say through the use of this technology, they still maintain culture. They still you know, they, they have tacos. We enjoy that. That's great. We pay for them, hopefully, with, you know, Litecoin or something. Anything you know? else, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I'm just arguing that... The, that level of that burden isn't required for the sustenance of meaningful culture and, and meaningful life. Absolutely. And, and I don't think anyone would argue even our own political, you know, figureheads, you know, our, our politics. Trump got in the office, in my estimation, based upon a desire by the people to be more efficient in that 30%. I don't think anybody's going, hey, remove our taxes, I think people are going, hey, if we're going to spend our taxes the way that you're currently spending them, remove the taxes. So if we actually saw the value of our taxes being translated into newer roads, newer technology, things that help our geographical area, I would, no one would be opposed to that. The problem is, is the wasteful spending in that 30%. The problem is, is that the people at the top have no no accountability as it relates to how those are spent. Blockchain alleviates that because guess what? I don't have to wait for the report to come out in terms of what they spent our money on. I can literally log into the, if the US government had a blockchain wallet that they were doing all their expenditures in, we as people would be able to audit that at any given moment in real time. Right. So if a corrupt politician was sending his campaign donations to some other person that should not be getting campaign contributions, we can point to our own city as it relates to that <laughs> happening. Everyone would know at the day that it happened, the mm-hmm. second it happened. It's accountability for tax dollars, right? If a, a police force bought a bunch of tanks we would all see it, right? And so it puts so much transparency on what we spend our money on that it brings a level of accountability as it relates to what really is going to elevate us as a nation state to be the leader, right? And I believe that just like a good company, when you invest in a stock, do you invest in a stock where the, C, the C-suite is willy-nilly about their taxes and their expenditures and they're blowing money on bad investments all over the place? No, you would never put your money into that. Well, why, why is that any different than a government, right? Mm-hmm. You want those people to be the sharpest tax in the drawer. You want those people to say, golly, 
you know what? Our country is the richest country in the world. Our country does give us more tax dollars than any other country. Let's use that as an advantage to create more wealth, right? Not bleed the wealth out into individuals' pockets based upon them being in the position of power that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, what's so striking to me about this blockchain is how it's it's such a great example of decentralization versus centralization and capitalism versus socialism. I mean, anytime you would try to have all of the decisions be made at some corporate head or some governmental head, you're not. You, you can't. You, you know, the way that humans are designed, you are going to stifle creativity. But when you release that and you let people play by the rules and just even make sometimes make their own rules, well, then you can have real you can have real breakthroughs, and that is essentially what the blockchain is. I mean, it's like the it's like the ultimate decentralization. It's the same argument that most people that I talk to that have the same similar beliefs that I do. Uh, they're more for state government than they are for federal government from a spend perspective. The federal government has too much money that they can't appropriate to the local level in an efficient manner, right? So the same thing that happened with our food industry, right? How much healthier as a, as a nation were we when we got our food from local sources? A lot. Exponentially more. <laughs> Healthcare costs exponentially lower. All the benefits that go into that. Why? Because something as intimate as food and us eating daily needs to be managed locally from from a taste perspective, from a quality perspective, from a cost perspective, everything. And so there are certain things that we have let go to the top. Mm. To your point, they can't be managed at the top. So blockchain allows us to, to delegate that to a more local level and allows the people in that local environment. For example, if we were more of a state-run society, and you don't like the people that run your state, what do you do? You move, right? Um, and the majority would rule as it relates to if you did live there, you got nothing to complain about, right? If you don't do that, and we prescribe ourselves to a top-down federal system, then you're, allowing, you're telling everyone, fit in this box that we've created for the majority but we're seeing the divide that that creates. Why? Because the majority lives in the city. 50% of America live in metropolitan areas and 50% live in rural areas. Both are right. There are needs of the city from a social perspective that are vastly different than the needs of the rural area. So why, wouldn't, why would we try to create a, a monetary system and a means to govern that are keeping one size fits all for both mm -hmm. parties. Yep. Doesn't make sense. Yep. All right. Well, Tillman, this is fascinating. We got to bring it to a close. Um, any final thoughts you want to throw in here as it relates to blockchain, cryptocurrency, smart contracts, anything, or even advice for the listeners going forward with how to proceed with all this? I would just do research and, and mm -hmm. really pour yourself into what the possibilities look like and, and get excited about the fact that there is this potential that exists that we can own and that we can make into whatever world we want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what's going to get Americans really excited about it. Not 
what the traditional talking heads in the crypto space talk about, which, you know, I just went on kind of a rant about the Federal Reserve. I love the Federal Reserve. Again, they, they've done more for us than any other body. But that doesn't mean we have to, again, do either or. It means that there's a healthy complement of innovation that's coming through the blockchain that will allow us to make that system even stronger, even better, more transparent, and more efficient as it relates to how we spend our money. Wonderful. Is there a way that people can sort of follow what you're doing with the social clubs around the world? Is Or do you not have that ready to kind of hit the world yet? Um, not quite. Okay. Uh, we're in pre-sales. But okay. um, yeah, absolutely. We At a certain point, we'll, we'll be very recognizable yeah. uh, in, in the industry. Okay, wonderful. Well, in the meantime, Tillman, thank you very much for being on. Really appreciate absolutely. it. Thank you.